0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan writer for The Free, joined by Reiner Sabin, our Big Ten insider. It's now been a, a little more than 12 hours since we last saw one another, Reiner, uh, Saturday. We sat next to each other, as, as we do in our assigned seats at the press box, enjoyed some some pre, pre-game chicken, mashed potatoes, little green beans. I, I don't know if I, I don't I didn't see you have green beans. You might have.
1: No, I definitely had vegetables. I always had vegetables. So. You do good. Good for yeah. you. Um
0: mm-hmm. I was trying to be healthy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was all before we watched uh Michigan uh cakewalk to its second straight victory. This one 35 to 7 over UNLV. But again for the second straight week, they did not cover the spread, Reiner. Reason for concern in Ann Arbor.
1: I don't think there's much reason for concern. <laughs> I thought, you know, overall Michigan played a pretty solid game. So uh uh, you know, JJ McCarthy was uh you know spectacular and they again have shown a much more uh you know a, a much more of a, a lean towards the past than they have in the in, in the past. And you know, it seemed like they're going about it a little bit differently, but uh, you know, again getting the same similar kind of results, maybe fewer points, but uh overall produced. But I mean again the defense is playing very solidly. Um, Not allowing much. And, you know, the offense is executing uh, during large stretches of the game. So uh, overall, I thought it was a pretty solid performance. And, you know, there's not really much you can take away from, you know, a game where Michigan is clearly the superior team on the field. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and I agree. Um, it was said tongue, tongue in cheek about covering the spread. Certainly, I don't think there there was anything to to see major reason for concern through through these first two games. But but you just sort of uh, did a good job previewing exactly uh, the route we're going to take with this show. We're going to do our, our th- start off with our three things. Talk a little bit about the offense, of course, another great game from JJ McCarthy. The defense finally getting home uh, on with some sacks. I'm sure they're happy about that. And then we will each provide. Our one sentence takeaway, uh, because this kind of feels like the game two months from now will be like, wait, when did Michigan play UNLV? Like, what what time was that? Who was around? What was I doing? Um, even though we were there and very much locked in and, and we do have a lot of things we think about now. Once the the bulk of the season gets here, it, it's easy to forget about these uh, these non-conference games. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, after the break, as you said, uh, points are down this year, but production is still Somewhat equivalent, so we, we break that down and, and, and see what to make of it. Um, but before we do anything else, uh, we need to address that right now we are recording shortly before noon on Sunday, September 10th. Last night, uh, or early this morning, USA Today, the flagship publication of the free press's parent company, Gannett, released a lengthy report about Michigan State coach Mel Tucker uh, was some accusations against him, and Reiner is our Big Ten insider. He covers both Michigan and Michigan State for us. However, this is a Michigan podcast. We're here to talk about the University of Michigan Athletics, specifically football right now, and there will be a time once things are more sorted out to discuss the situation in East Lansing and how, if at all, it relates to Michigan because that is the lane that we want to stay in here. Um, But right now, all I'm going to do, Reiner, is extend it to you to see if there's anything else that you can or would like to add before we officially turned our attention to the Wolverines. I know we, you, me, and we're we're on with our producer and our sports editor, Andrew, we just spent a number of time, a little bit of time this morning discussing how to handle this.
1: Well, I mean, again, I think you, you said it perfectly. Uh, You know, again, this is a Michigan focused podcast and I think, you know uh, you know, there'll be a time and a place to discuss that, but that time isn't right now considering that, some things are still up in the air with that. So, uh, you know, I think we should just proceed accordingly and, you know, focus on, you know, the team that this podcast is about. Right.
0: But we felt that we we couldn't act as if or just go on without saying, yes, we're aware that's happening. But that's not what this is for.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On. Yeah, it's not germane. Yeah, it's not germane to the, the topic at hand. <laughs> it is not.
0: It is not. And the topic at hand in Michigan football circles as it has been for four years almost, but now there's the real, real reason for it is JJ McCarthy once again. Just he was the the highest graded offensive player on Michigan for the second week in a row according to to Pro Football Focus ninety two point one again ninety is elite. Uh, he he has a graded out as elite twice. Mason Graham graded out as elite on defense. No one else has done so this season. He was twenty two of twenty five passing two hundred and seventy nine yards. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. This time he did run. Uh, I was wrong. I said I did not think he was going to run once uh, in, in the non conference. I thought they wouldn't let him. Three rushes, 38 yards in absolute total control, Ryder.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was an impressive performance all the way around. Uh, you know, he was fitting the balls into the pockets uh, of, you know, uh, quarters coverage, some zone concepts that uh, UNLB was throwing at him. And You know he was able to kind of go through his progressions and find the right guy. Um, You know, check down early on to Blake Corum. You know uh, that led to a huge gain. You know to start Michigan off. I mean, uh, all the way through to the you know play action pass to Roman Wilson for the forty seven yard touchdown. Um, That was another you know really good throw. uh, Put uh, Roman Wilson in position to you know get a bunch of yards after the catch. uh, Him and stride, and so. Again, it was a it was a you know tour de force as I kind of wrote about uh you know in uh, today's paper the Sunday paper and uh you know again a reflection of you know his growth as a quarterback in this past year and the confidence Michigan now has in placing faith in him and giving him ownership of the offense I think
0: week one it looked like that was starting to happen right but we we. You're always hesitant to sure. lean too much into week one. Once you do it a second time, then you start to notice that's the beginning of a pattern, right? And uh, and and again, that happened on the opposite, right? I didn't. We didn't want to draw too many conclusions about the run game uh, that struggled against an ECU team that loaded the box and sold out to stop it. Well, against UNLV, there were there were t- some of those those run issues uh pre- presented their, their head uh, again and, and we're going to get to that in in just a second but uh, i mean it feels like we could talk about what jj is doing all day i think you said it very well um i mean not only the, the pass blocking very good he had a lot of time to make his to make to go through his entire progression and get one two three get off his third read sometimes even check it down um and and run with it but it's also his accuracy downfield right uh, and the, and being on the same page as the receivers. So often last year, they were just off, right? Again, t- uh, yesterday, Saturday, I should say eight for 10 for 179 yards and a touchdown on passes 10 or more air yards downfield. Now he will only two of those were attempted 20 yards downfield, but still some, a lot of these shots and I'll, I'll keep going to it. JJ was 44% on these throws last year, 80% yesterday. Uh, I mean, just taking the top off. And those are these big chunk plays when the running game is not getting it um, this year. The the, pa- the passing game is. And it's hard not to feel good for Roman Wilson, right? Uh, I mean, he now, <laughs> two four catches, 88 receiving yards. Uh, that's who I wrote about um, for, for this morning. Um, you could just sort of feel it when he was talking yesterday uh, after the game. Just about, I mean, he, he talked about uh, sneaking out of his house late at night and into Schembeckler Hall to work out alone. Uh, it, it's stories you hear, uh, you know, early mornings, late nights, staying after practice. But these aren't just stories, these are minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years that someone actually puts in for Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean I think, you know, again, he's there was questions about who would replace Ronnie Bell as that go to receiver. I think Roman Wilson has clearly answered that. Um, you know, he has a, a real connection with him. Uh, you know, always is able to kind of seems to evade and whoever's guarding him uh to get open. Uh he's got the speed and the quicks to be able to, you know, operate uh in space, you know, elude coverage, uh get off press. Uh, you know, find his way into holes. I mean, he's also, again, usually, a, uh, you know, a sign of a really good receiver is also being able to find openings in the coverage. Uh, I think he's able to do that. Um, so, you know, he clearly studies film uh, that, that comes across in his game. And then, you know, obviously I think, uh, you know, the big thing with him going forward is can he stay healthy? That's been an issue the last couple of years, but, you know, assuming that he can, I mean, you know, the sky's the limit really with him, I think, as a as a receiver, just because, you know, he, he does seem versatile enough to be able to, you know, again, handle the quick game, but also obviously go deep. I mean, you saw that uh, in the uh, in the college football playoff game uh, against TCU, too. So, I mean, they really haven't taken that many deep shots where they've gone. And, you know, that's obviously partially attributed to the, the coverage that they faced. Um, and, you know, taking what the defense gives you. But uh, whenever that does open it up, I mean, Roman Wilson is also good at that too. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how that connection can further develops, you know, as as the season goes on.
0: And it's a great point you made about uh, him finding separation and finding openings in the defense, right? I think that's one one aspect of his game that – it is underrated and has really grown in my eyes this season. And I think he detailed it well about his 47 yard, uh, to touchdown catch from McCarthy in the second half. Uh, I, I went back and watched the play. He actually was behind. He was behind the, the, I don't know if it was a safety or the cornerback, d- but whichever right, yeah. defensive back was in man coverage, mm-hmm. he was just beyond him. And so usually, uh, if you're if you're past them you 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 extended upfield but he then decided to cut it shallow and across make the defender pivot his hips and change his direction it created a ton of separation and he talked about after the game how in live time he's deciding should i go under uh, uh, like on top of him instead he said he went underneath the nickel uh and then, and then made, the, made the play. So it's happening in live time, all these things that are growing. And while he does seem to be the number one weapon, I mean, all five <laughs> receiving touchdowns certainly indicate that. Let's not forget about Cornelius Johnson, who had, five ca- who had five catches for 82 yards and another 26-yard run of his own. I mean, he led the team in all-purpose yards. And he is tied for the team lead in catches and that's no small thing if teams are going to start focusing on roman wilson
1: yeah i mean it, it's good to obviously have multiple options in the passing game and you know cornelius johnson has always been a solid option you know he's had his breakout moments obviously last year against ohio state um you know when he caught those uh too long two deep passes uh um you know and you know took the top off of uh the Buckeyes defense, but I mean, you know, again, he's, he's been around the program. This is his fifth year. And uh, he, I mean, he he kind of has a savvy and know-how too, just like Roman Wilson does. And, you know, that gives, uh, you know, McCarthy, the confidence, you know, that these guys are going to be at the right place at the right time. And also if, you know, they're running option routes or whatever, you know, that they're going to make the right decision on based on the coverage that they see. So I think that's uh, you know, a product of the experience that they have.
0: It is, and we, when you have this many years in the offense, though it has changed and formed, there've been different quarterbacks to get on the same page with. They have a, a, an understanding and knowledge of concept of the route tree and the things they're trying to get done on certain plays, right? Exactly. And so, and so, we're we're seeing that all happen. Um, as good as the run game or as the pass game was, excuse me, the run game, uh, the numbers decent, uh, but they were decent for Bryant against UNLV as well. Right. And not, I don't think either of us came away saying, Oh, those week one run concerns. Yeah. Those are cleaned up.
1: Yeah. I think there's a, there's some issues there. Uh, and you know, probably stems somewhat from the blocking, uh, of the offensive line, um, collectively didn't grade out terribly well from, uh, you know, pro football Focus's interpretation of, uh, of the game. And, uh, you know, and Donovan Edwards didn't play well. I mean, you know, his uh, – there was a noticeable drop-off when he carried the ball uh, as far as production was concerned. And, you know, he had a hand in the one series uh, in the second quarter uh, that led to a turnover on downs. I mean, again, Michigan was moving right down the field. Then they decided to feature him, you know, once with pass, twice with, a, you know, handing him the ball. And, you know, they couldn't get – uh they, they can move the chains there and then had to call Blake Corum in and he got you know stopped for a 1 yard gain uh which wasn't good enough to get the first down and uh you know Edwards uh, just has not been able to get going um you know and you know it kind of shows some of his flaws in his game where he you know is good for the big run but is he consistent enough to be able to get you those yards and uh you know that was kind of the issue Last year, even before he had his breakout in the, towards the end of the season, when Quorum got hurt, and now you know it's kind of being you know brought to the fore again, these limitations in his game. He has been more
0: is less consistent in sort of five, six yards than Blake Car- than Blake Quorum, excuse me, and more feaster famine. and uh, this year has started out uh, almost ex- exclusively as famine uh, for, for, for Donovan Edwards, uh, which is the problem. He's run the ball. 12 times in the first half, so six carries in the in week one, six carries in week two in the first half of games. 12 rushes for 14 yards uh, total. And it's really hard and we were we were asking Mike Hart after the game yesterday and he was he I mean of course he's gonna come to, to the defense of one of his guys and he was saying like look, like when we watch these plays back, there's not a lot to be had to begin with. However, here's the problem. I don't know if Donovan is getting what is there to be had, right? I mean, I'm starting to wonder if his running style is too much of a one-trick pony. It is too much about just burst once he gets through the line and to that second level. I'm not sure if I've seen the vision. I'm not sure. I mean, he's a big, strong guy. We talked to him in person. I, I'm not sure I've seen him lower his shoulder i'm not sure i've seen him show he can cut it back i've seen him run in a straight line really fast really far past people
1: that was his game last year yeah i mean he's, he seemed like the definition of a one-cut runner but here's the here's the thing he tried to inc- uh, incorporate quorum's Good. game he wanted to add some wiggle That's what he's- i've seen him i've seen him trying to trying to do that in these first two games where and it hasn't worked well at all because he's not that kind of player. I mean, Quorum does. I mean, he can he can maneuver in tight spaces and then hit his gear quickly. Uh, you know, I think with, with Edwards, he has to kind of get a couple of steps of momentum and then, boom, you know, again, the definition of a one-cut runner where I don't think he can quite accelerate out of the, you know, the kind of a quick, you know, couple steps, and then and then do it in the same way that Quorum does it. But yet he's trying to be Quorum, you know, having more of that uh, elusiveness in, in uh, tight quarters, I guess, so to speak. And so I don't think he's uh, trying to co-opt some of Quorum's game. I think he's end up, ended up hurting some of his own game. Do you agree with that? I mean...
0: He, no he, I mean I mean he may have I, I do see what you're saying like as I replay his his runs in my mind I do see him him keeping his feet sort of chopping uh but behind the line um I'm not a running backs coach I don't know I don't know uh what the solution is um there, there are I think and and that's probably why Michigan staff is saying this it's not just one thing right the sure. the run sure. blocking from the offensive line has not been great the run blocking from the tight ends has been even less. And as they say in Michigan, I mean, it's it's a common tight end refrain, certainly in Ann Arbor, no block, no rock. That's sort of how the MO has been. And while Colston Loveland is incredibly talented uh, as a pass catcher, on according to Pro Football Focus, on 13 run blocking snaps, he graded out at 47.3. Um and that is, that is well below average uh, for the four 50 is, is below average. And in the forties is the poor range with air quotes around it. So uh, I mean, if, if you're tight end and he is, so he is the, the pass catching tight end, AJ Barner is the, is the tight end who is more run block, who is supposed to be the primary run blocker. He was actually tremendous. Uh, he was the best graded run blocker on the team. Um, but as the staff keeps saying, it takes all 11, right? It's just one, one guy here, one, one play there. And maybe it's a running back, missing a cut. Maybe it's a missed block, but it's not what it was last year. That <laughs> that doesn't take a rocket scientist to see.
1: Well, that, That's why they brought in Barner was to provide some of that run blocking heft that, you know, Luke Schoemaker, you know, offered last year. I mean, the, uh, uh, As far as Loveland, I mean, he has always been kind of a subpar run blocker, uh, you know. I mean, he was, you know, (laughs) basically, you know, kind of a big big wide receiver, essentially, you know, that, I mean, in some ways that, um, you know, like a Mark Colston type player, uh, uh, you know, the former Saints, you know, tight end, uh, um, that at one point was like, should he be a wide receiver or should he be a tight end? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what Loveland was and, uh, or is, I should say. And, um, you know, there was a focus, I think of his to try to improve the run blocking, put on some more weight and such, but it just hasn't translated yet. And it's going to take time. I mean, it took time for Schoonmaker too. I mean, Schoonmaker's body when he first arrived at Michigan was, you know, he was a pretty, you know, uh, you know, thin kind of uh, player. I mean, you can see that Col- Loveland has made some progress in the weight room. It just, you know, it's going to, you know it takes more than that to just run block i mean it, it takes technique and uh you know again that's why they brought in barner as a as a transfer from indiana this uh this off season to try to get that to get that aspect of the game and maintain that aspect of the game because it is important for them to block on the edges yeah
0: yeah and as the top ranked player in idaho i don't think he was being asked to do you know a lot of Right, like inline line blocking that's that that's and, and so when you go to a new level, there's a learning curve.
1: That's the problem though with you know in, in general with Michigan recruiting tight ends that they're hard to find nowadays because a lot of high school offenses don't do inline blocking. It's a lot of the spread types you know offenses they're flexed out wide. Um, you know Nick Eubanks talked about that when he when he got to Michigan. You know, he, he was like he had to totally learn inline blocking because he I mean he was generally flexed out wide. It's just it's just harder and harder to find those kind of players at the high school level and
0: yeah, you know, NFL concepts.
1: Yeah, NFL, right. yeah and yeah, and just to play that wide tight end position, which is yeah. you know that's that's a tough that's a tough thing. I mean, you know, it requires a certain body type and requires you know the ability.
0: You're, at, you're asked to block like
1: a lineman, yeah. like your wide receiver, yeah. and you're not built to do either. Yeah. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. And it's especially when you get to the college level, I mean, you know, usually those guys are not fully developed in their, in their frame. So, I mean, like it's going to take some, take some time. It did for Schoonmaker. It did for Nick Eubanks. It's going to be the same for Loveland. Now Loveland, I think has more upside than both of those guys as a receiver. So, I mean, Michigan, I think is more than happy to be patient with him.
0: Yeah. As they should be. Um, All right. Let's move it over to the defense, uh, and with a little more uh, haste, as we always uh, seem to do. This, um, I thought that was a job well done by the defense. <laughs> if they if they wanted, like like actually wanted, Michigan could have two shutouts right now, right? Like East Carolina field goal as time expired. UNLV, there were two minutes and some change left, but no, I don't I don't think anyone on Michigan's too deep was was still in. At that at that time, uh, a lot of freshmen, uh, Reese Adambury, like guys who have moved from offensive line to the defensive line, uh, just people you're trying to get reps, right? That's that is what th- these games are for. Um, but the pass rush got home after no sacks in week one, five in week two. That was, I think, the main defensive takeaway, Reiner.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the pass rush getting home was impressive. Uh, also, the fact that a lot of it came from the interior. I mean, and they were using some blitz concepts to free up some of these defensive linemen, uh, you know, to be able to go get get some matchups and kind of confuse the opposing offensive line. I mean, it shows the versatility of the defensive scheme where, you know, Jesse Minter is able to kind of, you know, mix and match blitzing to get, you know, pass rush uh, from the usual sources, uh, and that's the case there. I mean, you saw that on the uh, Derek Moore sack where, um, you know, Quinton Johnson came off the edge and, you know, he was kind of, uh, you know, allowed to just, you know, get in on the, get on Brumfield and, and bring him down. And so I think, uh, you know, it, it was encouraging for them to be able to have that productivity after not getting a sack against East Carolina due to their quick passing game.
0: Yeah, The, the communication worked a lot better and the production came across from across the front. And as you said, the interior of, uh, of the line, right? Kenneth Grant, uh, with a sack and a half, Mason Graham, uh, Chris Jenkins got involved. I mean, Derek Moore on the edge, Jalen Harrell on the edge. These are all the names Michigan fans want to hear getting home to the quarterback, right? 10 tackles for loss, uh, as, as well, but it was Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant, uh, Two guys who will also are not, not NFL eligible after this year. They're only sophomores. So unless they transfer, they're coming back, right? And they were the two most game-wrecking players on on, on Michigan's defense. Uh, Kenneth Grant had, I believe, two and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. He had a, a batted ball at the line of scrimmage. Um, and then Mason Graham was the highest graded player by PFF in the game. His uh, His run defense... 95-and-a-half. Um, I mean, just... He, he was all over the field uh, yet again. Um, I mean, arm tackling. Brumfield. on There was a, one third and short, I remember, in particular. and looked like Brumfield was going was gonna to just run right up the middle. And Mason Graham just bare like, grabs him with his right paw, whatever you want to ca- call it, and just slams him down. Uh, just re- really good stuff from the defensive line. And as they say... I love when the cliches come true, right? Like the greatest improvement is between week one and week two, right? Part of it is the scheme of, 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 the opponent they were playing, but also they were, they were playing. They were two, two times Kent Grant said they had what they called effort sacks. Is that right, Reiner? So, I mean, these weren't just, we're better than you Michigan was getting after. It.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I it's, uh, it's impressive. I, I've been surprised in some ways that, you know, again, it's been Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant that have really stood out more so than Chris Jenkins. I mean, all the buzz getting into the season was about Chris Jenkins. And, you know, I mean, again, he was on, you know, talking about his exploits in the weight room and just, you know, the fact that he was just a dominant player. But, I mean, really, the player that's, you know, far more dominant is uh, is Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant. I mean, they've, they've really been able to actua- actualize – uh, you know, what Minter has wanted from an pa- interior pass rush standpoint and actually are standing out to the point that, like, you I mean, again, you can't help but notice their their impact on the field. Whereas with Chris Jenkins, it's, you know, I mean, there's many snaps that go by where I don't see him as much doing that. Now, I mean, obviously it's two games in the season and, you know, that could change, but I've been most surprised by the fact that we're not talking about Chris Jenkins, but we're talking about Mason Graham and Ken's Graham. Right,
0: right. Mostly because we were ready for Chris Jenkins to also be doing this as well. Yeah, right? right. And I mean, I mean, Mason and, and, and Kenneth Grant have been just so disruptive, so incredibly disruptive first through the first two weeks. And I wonder, I think it has to have helped this young secondary. Uh, Michigan shouldn't <laughs> or did not plan on having a young secondary. Uh, but Rod Moore was out. Macari Page was out. Uh, Will Johnson, yes, he did play seven snaps uh, late. They tried to sneak him in there. You saw it. That was a good eye, um, but largely out. Uh, and then Amarion Walker, he's new, uh, but they liked what he brought to the room. So as of spring, that could have been four of the five starters, right? Before Josh Wallace came in at the other starter, or at the other corner spot, Mike Sain was the only person who, when they mapped out their starting secondary to us four months ago, who started on Saturday? Yet they shut down the a, a passing game that does not really scare anybody.
1: No, I mean and again, they didn't. Uh, UNLV didn't show that it could really take the top off the of defense anyway uh, in its first game, and uh, certainly you saw the limitations of the quarterback. I mean, Brumfield really couldn't do much more than you know shoot the pass out to you know a guy in the flat or whatever. But I mean, he really couldn't load up and fire the ball uh, deep. I mean, he he definitely seemed like he was, uh, you know, limited to to the point that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to be able to challenge the the secondary consistently over the course of the game.
0: Yeah. And nobody in the, in the secondary really had a chance uh, to stand out like last week uh, because uh, ECU kept getting the ball out so quickly. It was, and to the outside, I mean, secondary players were either batting balls down or getting picks or making tackles, Uh, It was really all about the defensive line uh, in in, in this one. Um, So I didn't have any DB who like really popped to me another really nice afternoon from Mike Sanger still. Uh, But that was it as far as that side of the ball. So to put a bow on this first segment, I would love your one sentence takeaway from Michigan week two.
1: J.J. Uh, uh, McCarthy has a lead role now after playing a supporting role in 2022. If you look at uh, the Nebraska game last year, November, uh, you know they they won by 31 points, but you know McCarthy only threw for 129 yards at eight completions in that game. And afterwards, Jim Harrow was asked like, you know, why didn't you pass the ball more? And he was like, you know, you can travel by ground, you can travel by air. We chose to travel by ground. Well, now Michigan is traveling by air, and like J.J. McCarthy. They feel like he has the ownership of the offense. And it was, again, another, uh, you know, s- strong, strong performance that will only give them more confidence to let him kind of cook and and uh, run this offense.
0: And that brings me to my sentence, which is the, the, the counterpoint to that. Uh, the run game is officially something to monitor. Um, last week, uh, when you and I talked on here and off air, um, just in our own conversation, I would say, yeah, I mean, we had a document. You put your concern level, I think, at a 5 out of 10 for the run game uh, when, when we asked you on here, and I said I was at like a 2. Uh, I'm about a 4 now. We're, we're it's it, it, it has ticked up. The ha- I mean, the fact that neither running back is getting going and Donovan struggling to this level is very surprising. Blake Quorum had two carries for more than 10 yards yesterday. That's just not. That's not getting it done. Um, against against the UNLV team, uh, they gave up 200 yards to Bryant in the FCS when Bryant was lost by 30, right? So they could run even when they were in passing situations. Um, and so I'm I I want to see how, how the line continues to gel. My uh, Drake Nugent had a much better game, uh, even even in run blocking at center. I want to see if there's another step for Miles Hinton. If the if the wide receivers can, get, can hold and seal some of those blocks downfield. Because really, if you remember last year, that's a lot of what Michigan talks about. That's how those 7-yard runs becomes 18-yard runs, right? When you're getting a seal on the outside and you can get through that second level. Right now, Michigan's not getting to that second level to begin with. And when they are, the seal's not there. So there are layers of problems in this run game and... I think it's worth keeping an eye on when Michigan kicks off on week three against Bowling Green. Uh, but this is not the end of us. On the other side of the break, we talk about J.J. McCarthy looking this good, yet I don't know if you'd believe how many fewer points Michigan has scored through the first two weeks this year than last year. We compare and contrast it. Does it matter? That's next. You're listening to Hail Yes. All right. Welcome back, Reiner. The answer was 20. 20 fewer points per game through two weeks for Michigan's offense in 2023 than 2022. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because, I mean, when you're watching the game, you feel you know pretty confident in how, how the offense is running with, with with McCarthy playing at a at a very high level. Yet, I mean, again, I think it's largely attributed to some of the issues in the running game, I mean, where they're not getting as much uh, out of that. I mean, last, last year they averaged 265 and a half yards in the first two games. This year they're averaging 150 and a half. I mean, a hundred yard difference is pretty substantial. Of course, you've seen an uptick in the passing game that's kind of mitigated uh, that drop off uh, from the running game. At the same token, I mean, the running game does kind of keep the offense on schedule. And when you have these inconsistent uh, episodes uh, or, or unproductive periods in the running game, as you saw in the second quarter with the turnover on downs, as uh, alluded to, where Donovan Edwards was kind of the featured player in that series, uh, you, you run into issues where, again, drives stall and you're not able to maintain that momentum. Uh, so, I th- you know, I think that's partially uh, part of it. And also, you know, again, um, you know, it may just also be the way that uh, things were run last year. I mean, where he had, again, Cade McNamara playing, you know, the first half in one game and then J.J. McCarthy in the second half. And it flip-flopped in the, you know, uh, the second game where, you know, maybe, you know, McCarthy, uh, you know, w- when he was in the game, I mean, there was just, you know, obviously a better offensive flow this year. I mean, they don't have – once McCarthy's out of the game, I mean, the drop-off is pretty significant and who's running the offense, too. Right.
0: And also, last year, I mean, that was a quarterback competition, right? So right. they are trying to run equivalent offenses in both yeah. halves mm-hmm. to make sure that you're giving uh, all the quarterbacks a chance to put equal tape on or just have equal tape. Um, they, so that, that I think that's one part of it. The other part of it, of course, the clock this year, the way it's continuing to run. It has shortened games. However, last year, Michigan averaged 24 first downs per in in the first two games. They had 48 total. This year, they have 49. So they are moving the ball in as holistic a way, like instead of total yards in just a consistency of moving the ball, first downs in a game is a pretty good measure of how much you're doing that. And so Michigan is doing it at a relatively similar clip to last year. However, last year, because the focal point of their offense was the run game, when you're trying to run out of clock, that's what you do, right? And so Michigan was just successfully hammering away, even with their backups. So they're scoring a couple touchdowns in the the late third, fourth, and then these points keep climbing. Michigan's doing the same thing, but their run game is not as good right now. So they're not scoring. I think I think I think it might just be that simple.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Again, there you know, again when especially when JJ McCarthy leaves the leaves the field, then, you know, uh all bets are off for the offense, especially as given the fact that the running game has been uh more of a weakness this year than in than last year. So, I mean, without a solid quarterback to kind of uh, you know, alleviate that problem, or you know a spectacular quarterback in the, in McCarthy's instance. I mean, you end up uh, not being as uh, prolific offensively as you were, uh, say last year. Yeah, and,
0: and now that quarterback spot is even more in question. Uh, Jack Tuttle, his Michigan career has spanned one play. It was a nice play, he kept a little zone read, ran it for I think 15 yards, <laughs> uh, but then he was hit late out of bounds. Uh, Ran into the wall. Um, he did not go back in. Mike Hart said that uh, Jack was he, he, w- he was ready, he was quote good to go. Um, and they wanted him to go back, or and he wanted to go back in, but Michigan was not enough. We're, we're just gonna take it easy and sort of live to fight another day. Um, so it, that it was yet another week where that backup quarterback role could not even get sorted out. Um, just for for what that for what that's worth um do you think when michigan has better competition uh in two weeks that we will while well, this might seem counterintuitive actually see more points because jj and the offense will be on the field the whole time
1: that's a possibility i'm again i'm curious to see if they do resolve some of the run game issues and the, you know if it really matters i mean i you know again uh Rutgers and you know Greg Ciano, I mean, always seem to have you know a pretty decent front seven with active linebackers, and so uh, that's going to be a that's going to be a test. Um, you know, uh, not just for for the running backs, but also you know JJ McCarthy, and so <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how good this offense really is uh, right out of the the gates with that first game. I mean, I know people like to poo-poo Rutgers, but you know, again, they, they can create some issues defensively. And, you know, Michigan was in a bit of a dogfight two years ago in 2021 against Rutgers in the season opener. A lot of people were like, oh, this, this team's not going to be that good in 2021. And like coming out of that game and, uh, you know, they fixed it the very next week against Wisconsin. They went on the road and, you know, beat Wisconsin, you know, by, I think it was 21 points or so, but like, you know, previously that that first week was like uh you know i don't know where this thing is going and so that that this could be a this could be another you know sneaky test for michigan uh right out of the gates
0: yeah i think michigan was losing in piscataway last year was it 17 14 at the yeah. half <laughs> and uh i mean <laughs> they blitzed them 38 nothing in the second half for a 52 17 win um but the point remains even even Good Michigan teams can – there can be a little bit of test uh, that records can provide. Um, and, and that's not even talking about the 2020 game, right, when uh, – I mean, triple OT. Um, and so that's a, that's a few weeks away. Bowling Green is up first. We will preview that later this week. Um, it is a night game. It will be a 7.30 kick on BTN. Uh, are you excited for to see all the new lights and the sound system?
1: Uh, I guess so. I mean, it'll be, uh, you know, it's a, it's a strange game for a night game. I mean, they had to, I guess, put something on at night, you know, to, to use these lights. So I guess, uh, Bowling Green was the, uh, the first option where that where that became available, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess that's probably the most exciting thing, you know, maybe as it relates to this matchup, uh, you know, other than the fact that, uh, you know, Scott Leffler, uh, former Michigan uh, quarterback is coming back to, to coach uh, at, at Michigan Stadium. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, you know, him coming back. Obviously, he was a big part of the program uh, during the Lloyd Carr era and also, um, you know, uh, Gary Moore, too. So,
0: yeah. I, although I would say that is the second most interesting uh, part of this game or second best part of this game. The first is that. It means non-conference season will be over and then we get to go on to the Big Ten, which we've all been waiting for uh, and just trying to make it through this non-conference season. Uh, Michigan wants to make it through healthy. We want to make it through um, without our eyes bleeding because Michigan is just too good for these teams and it's, it's much more fun to see them tested. Uh, and, and maybe we'll get that in a couple weeks. We don't expect that next week. However, we will talk to Jim Harbaugh on Monday. We will talk to some players on Monday, players Tuesday. It's not clear which coordinators yet Wednesday, but we will come back with our next show Wednesday for a Thursday morning release, um, looking at the the fighting Falcons. So until then I almost left without saying thank you to everybody. Um, The show could not happen without executive editor uh, on Delgado sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, audio engineer, Robin Chan, sports editor and producer Andrew Burkle, uh, our editor in chief who runs the entire show, Nicole Avery Nichols, and for Reiner, did we get to Andrew? Did I say Andrew, our sports editor, Andrew Burkle? He Is did. He getting two he thanks did. now. Okay. Well, he he does he does two things for us. He helps. It. He he does the the show with us. I mean, he's listening and watching us right now. And then he does all the editing. So he gets two thanks. Thanks to all the listeners, the downloaders. Soon, uh, very soon, I think Reiner, ahead of the Big Ten season might be a good time for our first mailbag. So it will get interactive. We'll get some feedback, uh, some questions from you guys, and keep this thing rolling. So thanks for listening to Hail Yes. Until next time.